what's up with this love and light shit? Yeah, it's kind of like, what do those words even mean without the embodiment? Right, when people say love and light, I'm sort of like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kayla Nelson, a holistic coach in both wellness and business, and a healer and educator of Lyme disease. I'm Jessica Jean Muir. I'm a personal empowerment guide through my work as a yoga teacher, trauma-informed body worker, and group facilitator. You're listening to Love, Light, and Go Fuck Yourself, the podcast. Hey guys, Jessica Jean here. Thank you once again for tuning into Love, Light, and Go Fuck Yourself, the podcast. The episode that you're about to hear today is part one of a two-part conversation that we had with Maren Johanna Miller. The conversation was super juicy, so we decided to split it up into two episodes so that you can really digest all the information, all the things that we talk about. So give today's episode a listen and then tune in next week for part two of the conversation. Also, just a disclaimer, this is a conversation about race, intersectionality, white supremacy between three white women. So this conversation is in no way meant as a substitute for seeking out the voices of black and brown people who are graciously sharing their stories with us. Um, And we include some resources in the show notes where you can go seek out those voices. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Love, Light, and Go Fuck Yourself podcast. Sitting here with Jessica Jean Muir and myself, Kayla Nelson. And we are bringing on a very special guest today, Maren Johanna Miller. And we're going to be diving into intersectionality, diversity, inclusion, and what it means to be a white person. Right. Yeah, I'm so, so excited to have you here, Marin. Thanks. Um, so just a little bit about Marin. So she is a formal, former art teacher turned Reiki practitioner, energy reader, and healer. She's an artist, a consultant, a coach, and a facilitator. She is passionate, driven, and committed to the work of racial and educational equity, as well as critical self-development and healing. She desires to work with humans who have the will to look inward and view the world through a critical and restorative racial lens Mm. for the betterment of self, but also for the greater good of all. She brings with her 10 years of teaching experience. She has a BA in studio art and a master's in education. And as a white woman, she desires to be a message of awareness, growth, and transparency in order to help uncover and name the oppressive systems at work in our lives. She looks forward to continue to build her capacity and interest in continuing to influence at different levels of systems, knowing how interpersonal and internal the work truly is, as it is personal before it is professional. So, Marin, you uh, are 
the exact person that I wanted to bring on as our first guest (laughs) here on this podcast because the knowledge that you have Mm -hmm. is within a realm and a topic and a scope that makes my head explode (laughs) in in the best way. Yeah. Um, and you have already schooled me in the best way many times before. Um, so when Kayla and I were talking about who we wanted to bring on, um, you immediately popped into my mind because I think that the information that you have and the work that you've done yourself is really important and it's up Hmm. and it's necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's really up right now, especially Mm -hmm. with what's just recently happened with, well, I mean, mass shootings in the U.S. are rampant, um, but we just had one a few days prior to us uh, recording this podcast, and, you know, the veil is being lifted on white supremacy and white culture um, and what that means in the U.S., and Mm -hmm. so this is like a (laughs) bone-chillingly relevant time to be sitting here with you Mm. and so thank you yeah um i just got goosebumps already (laughs) um yeah so with that how should we dive in (laughs) yeah will you marin tell us a little bit about your journey with this topic with this work how you got how you found your path like Hmm. this Woo! (laughs) receive that intro um yeah, where to start? Um, I'm very grateful for being here and having the space uh, to share. Um, I do want to name that by us being here together, three white women, totally. right? We're already centering whiteness, so just putting that out there, that yeah. that is something we are aware of, but also something that I've grown to understand, you know, and we need spaces where white women, white people are are thinking about this, are talking about this, are worrying about this yeah. in a sense. And so not that we need safe spaces, that's a quote unquote word, but there there needs to be more white people um, uh, thinking about this and, and doing their own work on this. So, mm. um, and I also want to say I'm by no means an expert um, and I the information and the knowledge that I am sharing today is because of countless black and brown women specifically, queer women specifically, that are out there sharing their truth. And mm. so um, also, you know, when potentially share resources later, there's so yeah. much information out there that mm. part of our job as white people, as white women, is to just start listening <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and actually believe what's being said and, and continuing to seek out those multiple perspectives. Mm. So Whoa. just putting that out right now. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, my journey. Uh, I am a white woman who grew up in the Midwest, Minnesota, and really thought of myself as a good white person for the majority of my life. Um, I was a art teacher for 10 years, and the, the last school that I was at, the uh, most recent school that I was at, I got a ton of resources and um, opportunities to just really look at this and so I'm indebted to that experience and that's what's driving me today in a sense. So um, I was at a school in um, Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, which 
because of systems, because of housing policies, the district itself is segregated. On one side of the highway is whitey white Maple Grove, and on the other side is um, Brooklyn Park, which is predominantly people of color, um, uh, lower income housing, and, and things like that. Mm. So uh, in turn, the school that I was at, we had students who were pre- predominantly black and brown um, on free and reduced lunch because of the systems that they grew into, that they are a part of, that keeps them in that place. Yeah. Um, and luckily, that school, that district that I was in had consulted with or were working with a company called Pacific Educational Group. Um, Glenn Singleton is out in San Francisco. They work nationally. There's summits that you, or excuse me, worldwide. There are summits that you can go to nationally. Um, And he created this protocol called Courageous Conversations About Race. And he created agreements and um, conditions and this thing called a compass to kind of mm-hmm. see where you're at in the in the conversation. And so I went through the Beyond Diversity two-day training as a new teacher in the district. Mm-hmm. And so that was an, an initial like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wake up call. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is being talked about. It's on a district level. Yeah. And I've never heard a lot of this before. Right. And... Um, yeah, so that just instantly kind of started me on this journey. And and luckily, I mean, this is not the case across the country. There are a lot of schools, there are a lot of teachers, there are a lot of administrators who want to be doing social justice work, racial justice work, uh-huh. and they are not able to do it yeah. for, for systematic reasons, um, that it's just not given permission or it's not talked about. Or if it is... It's little pieces here and there. It's not from a systematic stance of like, no, we're actually going to train everybody. We're all going to use this conversation tool. We're going to continue to look at our data and like really hound out like what, who are we kicking out? You know, who, who Mm -hmm. is being pushed out of classes and really like owning the data that, that is um, in front of us. And so um, I was very blessed in that opportunity of like it was given permission I had amazing staff members admin that like gave me so many green lights to just you know keep doing this so I sought out lots of other resources um, in Minnesota Heather Hackman is another white woman she's kind of my white uh, mentor at this point of um, she really walked me through Um, doing some of her trainings of really being able to see things systematically. She always Mm -hmm. pushes to say, you know, look up, not just down where we get stuck in like interpersonal stuff. It's more than just saying a a bigoted racist thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're a part of a greater system that, um, you know, was created before us, you know, at the inception of this country. And Mm -hmm. we need to be able to, to see that bigger picture in order to start you know, there's the four eyes, there's ideology, there's um, institutional, systematic, Um, the third is interpersonal, and then the fourth is internalized. So, right, like we need Mm. to be able to go through those four different um, parts to really see how this plays out. So what did you start noticing after taking these courses and classes and finding these mentors? What was one of your very first moments of Oh my God. Hmm. <laughs> Where do I start? Yeah. Little by little, I could see I could see how I was playing it out in my classroom as a white woman in front of majority students of color. 
um, how, I mean, I just, I really started having to wrestle with why I was doing things, why I was interacting with some kids one way and interacting with other kids another way, specifically isolating race, black boys versus white boys, you know. And why is there discomfort when there's a black boy potentially telling me his feelings and what he needs versus one of my white students? Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of it was just who am I sending out Mm -hmm. of my classroom and why? Uh And that is, you know, over time, the school that I was in, we also started talking about in in, um, bringing in restorative practices Mm -hmm. or restorative justice. And Mm -hmm. so to me, it was like, oh, yes, this makes so much sense. Like... Your behavior is just your behavior. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything about me, but I take it so fucking personally. Right, yeah. And why do I take it so fucking personally? You know, just little moments like that of, mm-hmm. um, oh, I can I can interact here differently. I can take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. I can ask questions mm-hmm. um, versus, uh, I believe what I learned through just with family and through teaching um, as a white person that I'm the authority. Mm. Um, I'm telling you um, my my way or the highway sort of thing of like that quick to nope, I'm in charge sort of thing versus mm. what happened? Yeah. What's going on? Is What did I miss? I mean, lear- learning that like I tend to see the the third thing that's happened and there's one or two other things like someone pinched one person that means someone that that person threw something at that you know like there's these that I didn't see I don't know the whole picture so so it's like sitting with seeing that there's an authority that's naturally coming through maybe like a programmed Mm -hmm. authority versus a natural curiosity yeah of what's happening yes and I want to step back just for a moment and talk about social justice Mm -hmm. and um what does that mean these Mm. programs Mm. what do those programs entail and mean because I think that might be a new term for people Mm. just what it looks like in schools in general or schools in general um, well, for me personally, it means telling the truth. Mm. It means being authentic human beings and being open to the fact that you might not know some things and that your experience in the world is more than likely different than all these other people in mm-hmm. the world. And so how are you going to be um, open to and curious about and seek out all these other perspectives that you might not know about, whether it's around immigration and citizenship, whether it's around sexuality, gender. Um, There's so many isms and and things like that, that Mm -hmm. how can we make this space as inclusive as possible? How Mm -hmm. can we make this space where everybody with all their identities can show up as their full authentic human selves? Where can we make space, especially in a classroom, for kiddos to be all that they want, that they need to be, mm-hmm. you know, considering that some might come into the classroom without food. Some might have, um, you know, just that the trauma-informed stuff that's becoming more and more yeah. a thing that people are talking about, especially in schools. Um, just being more mindful that school isn't just to come get content poured in your head. School has become a place and a space that needs to just be safe, yeah. <laughs> safe as safe as possible. A place where um, 
creativity and problem solving and curiosity are like as important mm. as a test score and, and that's inclusion yes well, and yes. speaking on safe spaces like something that's really coming up for me so I'm a women's circle facilitator yeah. and it's always been it's always fucking in the front of my mind like yeah. how do I make this space more inclusive more inclusive more inclusive yeah. because I I say it's an inclusive space right and yet the major enrollment is white middle-aged middle-class women yeah. and so how can people create um, intentionally inclusive and diverse spaces without tokenizing? Right. Um, I think that's something to just continue to wrestle with and think about. I mean, when it is predominantly white space, for me, it's mostly just naming it. Like that the default is to not name it. Right. We yeah. say black mm-hmm. person. We say brown person. We say Latina. We, we like... We describe people, but when we talk about white people, usually we don't, mm, right? Got it. And so the default is whiteness is yeah. is key. Whiteness is is what's it up. Is. It just is, right? We don't have to think about it. We don't think about it. And so the fact that white people is being used and named at this point is is in itself poking the system. It's at yeah. least, and that's again one thing that Heather Hackman would say is like, how can you at least name it? So even when you're describing or talking about a friend or an encounter and you say black man, make sure you say white woman yeah. as well. You know, just like mm. that you're naming pot- the potential um, that is happening or the, the power dynamics that so are happening. That's a really important key that I want to make sure that we all understood and yeah. heard because yeah. we talked through that really fast. <laughs> yeah. And so these things, like, I want to make sure we slow down and sure. share. Like, sure. So you're saying if we are seeing out in public a black man and we're like, oh, yeah, that black man over there, mm-hmm. we also need to say, oh, that white woman yeah, over fuck. there. We need to... I Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that's one step. Even, I mean, for me, that's been a part of my journey of yeah. just noticing that. Naming, even just naming spaces. So if I go into a restaurant, yeah. if, I, if I go downtown Boulder versus Denver, just being aware of the different people and the, and the different, you know, just who is around. Mm-hmm. And, and then getting curious of why, why aren't there some others around right. here? You know, like mm-hmm. there's potentially more people of color in the city than there are here in Boulder. Although there are prominent people of color in Boulder, right? That, but where, where are they and how do we know them and where mm. do we know them? And yeah. do we encounter them day in and day out? And that was something even when I moved down here, even choosing a space to live, you know, was a consideration of mine. I'm in Lafayette now, which is essentially the same as what I was in Minnesota. I was in a suburb of the city, right? Which tends to be more white people. Yeah. And am I willing, am I willing to do that or give up mm-hmm. on potentially being around multiple perspectives, other experiences that I might have in Denver? Yeah. Mm. And so yeah, just really being curious. Something that I'm hearing in you saying that that's really striking me is that like agency that you're seeing that you seem to have over mm. that. It's like that same thing of just normalizing. Well, you know, the baseline is white. Suburbs are white. And yeah. so, yeah, mm-hmm. this is where I can afford to live, so I'm going to live here. Instead yeah. of being fucking real with yourself mm-hmm. and asking yourself 
is that a choice that I want to make? Or do I want to center and prioritize diversity in my life and other experiences in my life and de-center the white experience by prioritizing my living situation in that way? Like, that is Mm -hmm. so fucking on point. Hmm. Yeah. And let's, can we, can we go back? Yes. Go back in time to the conversation that we were having before we started the podcast today mm. and talk about where this actually began. Because mm. I think we need to understand that as a white culture yeah. and as a culture in general. Yeah. Because without that, I'm all about getting to the root of things mm-hmm. and we got to get to the root at least as as much as our knowledge has it right now. Yeah. And as much so, as a bunch of white women can. Mm-hmm. That too. Yeah. So let's go back. <laughs> let's go back in time and talk about this. Like you made a point when we were talking earlier mm-hmm. that gave me chills mm-hmm. and a little teary eyed about the U.S. in particular. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's go back to that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I share. think that idea, again, of like truly being able to step back and look at systems. Because mm-hmm. I, I think, again, where a lot of white people get stuck is I'm a good person. It's just those racists over there that are saying bigoted things or doing mean things. And, and it's more than that. It's we are a part of and perpetuating every day, whether we like it or not at this mm. point, um, a white supremacist system. Mm-hmm. And that was created at the inception of our country. So, and that's what we were talking about is, mm-hmm. to me, that's white people are so disconnected from their heart that they're not really able to step in and open their eyes to, to really own and see that this country was created on genocide. (laughs) This country was created on slavery from multiple, um, on multiple levels, whether it's the slavery of African-Americans that was a huge part of our history and why um, monetarily our country is where it's at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Railroads, Chinese-American railroads, right? Like there's so many internment camps. There's so many bits and pieces of our history that I came to understand to know that I wasn't told. Mm. I w- this was omitted from my history classes. Right. Or if, if civil rights was talked about, it was with a really, you know, wide berth or yeah. or with a, a nice glove on it, right? Of mm-hmm. or it was that was back then. That was back then. But when you look, I mean, there's a timeline that goes around on Facebook a lot. It's a little meme that really shows you, like, the timeline of no, actually, like. The majority of the um, of our country's um, being around that it's been that slavery existed, you know. Yeah. Like there's been so the fact that folks can be that can are able to just continue to tune that out. Mm, it's yeah. I get that. I was someone that that was the case. It took thirty plus years and an incredibly intense experience, in a sense, to really wake up to this. There, I, I don't take that for granted either. Like I could still be in a space where I don't see these things, where I could look at an Eric Gardner or Gardner mm. or a mm-hmm. Philando Castile and just say they're thugs and they deserved it. But now I understand systematically that mm-hmm. that is 
is white supremacy at yeah. its finest. That is murder. That and is lynch. That is lynching happening in our timeline, in our in our right. present time. Right, right. And so, if that doesn't give you chills, if that doesn't bring you on your knees, then what will? Right. Yeah. So, understanding that. One, if you don't know these things about genocide and slavery and, and, and how that is um, just resurfacing or changing um, in our timeline now, right? Yeah. So slavery is mm-hmm. our is, um, prison complex system now, right? right. <laughs> so like there are different parallels or there, it just looks differently than what it did 20, 50, 100 years ago. Well, right. Yes. And I think that that is, like I was going to say, would you mm-hmm. say that that is white supremacy? I mean, that or that is white privilege yeah. at its core. It's like, we, yeah, we don't have to see those things yes. because they're not affecting us day to yes. day. Yes. And yet we're still living in a fucking system yes. that is oppressive yes. and is dangerous mm-hmm. yes. and is all of these things. Yes. And so I can, I mean to at least be aware of when you're driving in your car, right? Like you are more than likely as a white woman, as a white person, one, not going to get pulled over. Or two, if you do get pulled over, you're not going to die. And as white women, we actually can use our white tears, (laughs) right? As a way to save us. And that's, that's another systematic, or that's another historical thing to understand that white women have, have, um, have been a part of the KKK and a part of all of this. Emmett Till was killed because white female, white women tears. Right. So just really understand, like if you, if you can't, um, trying to see that system or historically, like things have happened and, and to try and, and really like see how they, they exist now. And, and to me that, that understanding that depth and being able to look at the bigger systems really helps me. Because yes, mm. there's interpersonal things that happen yeah. every day. There's things that I've internalized around many identities that I hold. Um, and yet, um, like I said, I just, and a lot of people don't like when I say this, but I, I am oppressing people every day. So, okay, I want to <laughs> unpack that. Can, can we unpack that sure. for a second? Because when I learned about this and when I started yeah. diving into this work, that was the part that blew my fucking mind yeah. because I stumbled across this woman, Layla Saad. Yes, she's wonderful. Who does, yes, phenomenal work. Everyone Black should female. Go Black male yes. or woman. Yes, she's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And she does, she puts out all this material mm-hmm. graciously with much emotional labor for white women to educate themselves. And actually mm-hmm. her workbook is on pre-sale. So cool. should, yeah, okay. just put a plug in there. Yes. We'll yes. put and, these um, names in the comments <laughs> yes. uh, and the notes. Yeah, so that we can, so we can have tools to go back to. Yes, yeah. lots and of I, and I, I keep going. I really want to keep going. Yes. Okay. So I found her and I was just like mind blown because I too considered myself a quote unquote good white person. And, you know, I'm second generation American. My family is from Sicily. I still have family that lives in Sicily. When I went to visit them, they were on a water ration. So I also kind of have this identity where I don't really consider my white privilege as much as someone who presents much more white yeah I think that they should and that's yeah. my own internalized <laughs> thing I'm not gonna get into that right now but it really blew my mind that although interpersonally I don't interact in a racist way mm-hmm. 
internally I've done work to I mean I grew up in New York City yeah. for me the norm is diversity yeah. coming to Boulder was was bizarre yeah. and blew my mind and made me angry mm. so those two pieces feel like they're somewhat in check mm-hmm. there's always more work to do mm-hmm. but then it got to those other parts where I started to look outward and see that I was a cog in this bigger machine and bigger device. And that part started to get warpy and confusing to me. Yeah. Can you break that down a little bit? (laughs) I know that's a big ask, but like just to shine some light for people who feel like, well, yeah, I'm not a racist person. It's those bigots over there. I'm not, I'm not lending myself to white supremacy. Hmm. I'm not a white supremacist. So yes. what yeah. could that mean? Yeah, and that that so I want to talk about what you just talked about of course, the the oppression piece, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm hearing like a lot of terms that maybe we need to like slow down and actually define cool. a little bit and talk about. Okay. Because oppression comes as an after effect of white privilege and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Right? Power. Power, mm-hmm. right? So can we talk about what is white supremacy and what is white privilege? Mm. Is there a difference? Mm. And because those two things, right, are what is stemming, what is bringing out this oppression, oppressive behavior, Mm -hmm. racist behavior, Mm -hmm. all of those things. Because I don't think as being a white person, I don't think I truly understand what white supremacy means. I feel like that's mm. almost the same question that I was asking. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. it's the same yeah. question. The root of it is the same because yeah. it's like, same. it's not understanding yeah. what that even fucking means. Right. Yeah. That's so the talk, problem. Right. Let's talk right. about that because when I hear white supremacy, yeah. I think of the KKK racist, bigoted, um, Dangerous. Yes. Like aggressive. Not me then. Yes. Yes. All of those things, right? Right. Goosebumps. Um, (laughs) And when you originally said to me earlier downstairs that piece of what we did as white people coming into the United States, Mm -hmm. and I heard you say, or I maybe said something, said white supremacy, I was like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. I felt that in a different way. Mm. I saw that as white and then supreme. Mm -hmm. Who's inferior and and who's inferior. Yes, and I'm like, fuck. Mm -hmm. I feel like in ways, all of us are white supremists yes. supremacists yes and that makes me want to literally <laughs> jump out of my skin yeah i want and, you to take a deep breath okay. and feel that yeah and own that and yeah, yeah. like it makes me like actually emotional yeah. yeah and i want you to just ride that wave too like don't don't cut that off i want you to feel it i want you to let that come through because that's important yeah, it feels scary. Yeah. And I think, oh, for me at least, I've found some relief or release in just owning that, though. I am a racist. I grew up in America, in the North America, in the United States, and I have been breathing, I have been swimming, I have been internalizing this shit since day one, day zero. Right. And so there 
there needs to be some grace in that, right? Of like, so to, to not separate yourself, that's something that I had to learn as well. So throughout some of the other trainings, I've, again, courageous conversations about race, they have a summit and I went to um, a training called Leading While White. And like that conversation of, even though I have so much training and language and knowledge around this, I still separate myself from the KKK, from those people over yeah, there. Yeah. But what's the most important for me as a white person on my journey is to, to continue to push myself to see them as, as me as mine, as my family, as my mm. cousins. Like no matter how far I want to push them away, I actually need to bring them in and and do like how do I continue to to do my work around that? No, maybe I'm not going to go have a conversation with 45 and and change his mind. But who do I have within my sphere of influence that I can continue to do something? Um, and again, if it's as little as naming a white person and decentering whiteness in a situation, or just like asking someone to get curious about, like, I'd love for you to be curious about that word that you just used. That's not landing well on me. And, and just poking people to wake up, to like, to, to notice that maybe there's words and phrases and, and things that they're saying that are coming, are stemming from this inferiority that mm-hmm. whiteness is better. The default is what you live in and that it should just remain that way. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard. So there's another visual that I love of like, either you can be, you know, the, the moving walkways in an airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either you can be going along on that really fast thing. Or if you want to be anti-racist, if you want to be really looking at this, you have to fucking turn around and walk the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to constantly keep doing that. Otherwise, yeah. you'll just get swept away. Yeah. And so going back to your piece. Right. So inevitably, it's white supremacy, but that intersects with patriarchy. Right. Who were the people who incepted and who created this country? White, rich, cisgendered men Whoa. who had all the power. Yeah. And they still do. And this is what I love about Robin D'Angelo and her um kind of presentation in her books because she really does a good job of explaining this like let's look at sexism first and then you can really potentially start seeing how race and racism play are parallel in this experience in a sense of there were just this little elite group of people who were in charge and they on purpose created this concept and utilized this concept to keep all the rest of us down, right? Like initially, white supremacy. So initially, there are a lot of folk who were lower class, who were servants, who were serfs or whatever, that they were all also with people of color working on the fields or indentured servants and things like that. But eventually, whiteness is what separated us, right? That's where there's still this disconnect and potentially why 45, or is why 45 was... was, um, um, elected was because there are lower class, poor white people who who are more in tune and want to be connected to their whiteness than they are to their own humanity, where they would be able to see themselves in their brown or black yeah. neighbors. That they would be able to say, you know what, all of us together are being fucked yeah. by these people up here. Let's come together. Let's do something about it. And there's still that there's still that disconnect. Mm-hmm. And oh. we're seeing it play out right now. When you say white 45, W45, <laughs> I don't know. What is that? 
that is the president that okay. I don't want to say his name. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And he who shall not be named. He who yes. shall not be named. Yes. He does not deserve to come out of my mouth. I, <laughs> I honor that. Yeah. And I was just like, what is that? I'm like, no, wait thank a minute. You. Now Good I question. understand yeah, what you. that is. Yeah. And please continue to tell me if you need, yeah, clarification. Because I, I know, things. and that's another thing too, is I have to be really mindful of, of I come in spaces and places where I, I do, I've had so much training, yeah. I've had so much opportunity that I do throw words around. And that's a privilege in itself. And I have to be really wor- mindful of that, not becoming my own little weapon of like, yeah. you know, I'm better than you or I know more than you. I, I have to figure, I have to see how that plays out within friends and family and things like that. So again, just... Thank you for that. I think that what you were pointing at when you were speaking of classism, socioeconomics, yeah. um, is intersectionality. Yeah. Will you unpack that term a bit? Because I've been, I see it a lot. Mm-hmm. I use it myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of discrepancy around what that actually means. Sure. Can you share a little bit about on that? Yeah. And that's something, I mean, later down the road, I really think I finally grasped it as myself. Um, So Kimberly Crenshaw is a black woman. She is the one who coined this term. Um, And to me, it's and the work that I work for a nonprofit called Building Bridges. And this is really, uh, to me, the training experience I've had, race is the most important thing to start with and look at. But also, I have to consider how I am a white woman and where my intersection of my experience in the world comes together on that. I'm a white cisgendered woman and how does that change my experience in the world? I'm a white neurotypical cisgendered woman. How do you know like Mm. all of these different um, identities that I hold are going to put me in places and spaces and experiences and so I have to constantly be aware of what that means and again who's Whose perspective am I missing? Where might I have blind spots? And it's not just about race, but it's about gender equality or sex, um, just understanding what it is to potentially be LGBTQ in our country um, and queer in this in the, our country. And and inadvertently, like if you are a black woman who is queer mm-hmm. or a trans woman, right? Your life is actually at the bottom of the ring. Right. And so. Um, a lot of the conversations we had at the school as well was just, um, we talked a lot about black boys, but honestly, if we put intersectionality on there, black girls are at the bottom of the rung, right? And if yeah. what are we doing for our black girls? And if, if we are able to create an experience for them and a space for them, then that will inadvertently help us create an, an inclusive, wonderful, authentic space for everybody. Mm. So um, really, again, trying to be mindful that there are potentially a lot of minds to step yeah. in, but to not be afraid of that, to just continue to be open and the discomfort that might come with that, like really getting curious about that and moving through that. So that's for me, um, I still get really uncomfortable talking about race in, in certain situations, even though I facilitate conversations, even though I do feel like I have a pretty great, under, good understanding of it. Um there are still moments where my heart is beating hard and yeah. my uh, flight is going to is taking over and um, I am finding more grace for myself in that. Um, but also like that for me as a white woman, I need to sit in, I need to do my work and heal in and also um, really kind of 
own in a sense so that I can be more impactful and useful out in the world mm-hmm. and 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 poke people way, even when it's uncomfortable. I mean, for me at right now in the restaurant industry, I could be <laughs> poking, oh, poking people every fucking second of the day on all kinds of different identities, yeah. right? And so it's that tension too of when is it a time that I should be doing it? How do I do it? Am I safe in this situation? What's what's the risk that I'm willing to take? And that a part of, you know, um, for me, being uncomfortable is a white suprem like the right to comfort is oh a right God. is a white um, supremacist culture trait. So like I'm supposed to be comfortable in whatever space I'm used to being comfortable in whatever space I am in, mm-hmm. and like even just getting curious about that as white people as white women like the entitlement that we might feel going into spaces and how that might play out in a group. Or at a workplace, yeah. um, I Let's, detached. I think went on a different realm, but yeah. yeah. Can we share a scenario mm-hmm. of say a white woman walks into this particular place mm-hmm. versus a black woman walks into mm. this particular pla- like place, like a POV, mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? Is it possible to break that down and be so we can have like an example of this is we what might need a, a black person woman to may, do that, right? Yeah, right. Right. It feels yeah. not good otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, there are plenty, and you've named one, Layla Said, and there's lots of black women out there who are, you can pay for their their yeah. words, for their in Instagram stories, for everything that they're putting out there, and they are, they are sharing their, their experiences around that. So that concludes part one of our conversation with Maren Johanna Miller, and we'll be back with part two next week, so make sure to tune in. Thanks for listening.